to Grey Matters. I'm delighted that you can join me here today at the Alistair Grey Archive. My name is Sorsha Dallas and this series of podcasts is going to be looking at and exploring the life and work of Alistair Grey, one of Scotland's most seminal artists of artists and writers. We're going to be first of all focusing on his seminal 1981 novel Lanark and exploring key themes and motifs that appear within that book. We're going to be hearing from people who respected, admired him, loved and cared for him too. So for the first series of um, podcasts, we're going to be looking at the idea of Lanark and memory, and I'm delighted to be joined here today by Professor Alan Reick, Professor of Scottish Literature at Glasgow University, a writer and poet, friend of Alistair's and attendee at the original, <clears throat> excuse me, 1981 launch. So Alan, if I can just hand over to you and try and ask you to conjure up maybe what 1981 in Glasgow was like, what you were doing. Um, how the city felt, what was going on culturally at that time? Well, I suppose it was. <clears throat> I suppose it was a bit like Unthank. <laughs> um, there was that always that sense of it being. This was. This was. A, I'm pretty sure this was before the um, the buildings were uh, sandblasted and the and the sense of it being it being lifted into a kind of. Well, the, the Glasgow as cultural city of Europe came later. And there was that sense that the city at that time had come through from the aftermath of the Second World War through the 50s to the 60s. And the 70s were, were, were certainly a different feel, a different decade altogether. Um, but in 1981, it was still that legacy was, was, was pertinent. And I, I had been, well, I was, I, I was born in Airdrie, Lanarkshire, darkest post-industrial Lanarkshire. So that atmosphere was not unfamiliar to me. Uh, but I had been to school in Kent and I'd been to Cambridge University to do my first degree. And by 1981, I was back in Glasgow working for a PhD at the University of Glasgow in the Department of Scottish Literature. And I was about 21, 22, 20, uh, 23 probably, by, by, or 22 probably in January uh, February, March, April, round about, well, you know, about half past 20, mm -hmm. about 22, 23, thereabouts, something, something ridiculously, very young for my age, uh, very, um, uh, very bewildered. So that sense of the bewilderment of Thaw and the bewilderment of Lark himself, trying to discover where he is and what he's doing, chimed um, before I read it. I had that sense that this was going to be a book of some interest just in terms of its portrayal of a, of a central character. Yeah. I think that was um, partly understood that there would be an autobiographical element in, uh, in the novel that Alistair had um, been working on it for a long time. So was that, that was accepted within, people obviously were aware, you know, as you'd said, Lanark was published obviously in 1981, but it was a, almost like a 30 year backstory to yeah. it being written and created. So was Alistair, was he known at that time? Were people, were people aware that he was working on this kind of masterwork and, and what was the kind of general feeling or kind of understanding of, of that process? Yes, they were. Um, I, mean, I, did, I, I, had, I did not have extensive or authoritative uh, presence in the literary company of that era. 
Uh, but as a student doing the PhD, I was introduced in, in various venues and various uh, um, occasions. And the Third Eye Centre, of course, where the launch took place, where the event took place that I, that I remember, um, that really was a, a lively and vivid and terrifically curious place. Um, and that was a lot uh, of do you think, due to, was it Tom McGrath and under his kind of... Yeah, I think it was, I met Tom there and, and uh, you know, that sense of... I had done a bit of work on the American poet Charles Olson, who Tom McGrath had been particularly interested in, uh, the, the Beats and the Black Mountain poets particularly. So I had a conversation with him about, about that, I remember, and just talking to him about the Third Eye Centre as a venue, as a locality, and that sense of the, um, the international... The um, seeing Scotland within a completely international community um, of our writers and artists of all kinds, nothing hampering in terms of its uh, of the tradition that it that it carried and regenerated. Um, but that, that that location was a, was a crucial one. So there were many events, and if I, and I remember the the same era or the same period, the same months as Lark's launch. It's also the launch of the exhibition called Seven Poets, mm. with a very famous painting, port, big multiple portrait painting by Alexander Moffat of Hugh McDermott, George Mackay Brown, Charlie McLean, Ian Kreitz, with all of the all of those men of that era, which is now the Scottish National Portrait Gallery, with photographs by Jesse Ann Matthew, poems, poets. Um, the presence of that cultural, literary world uh, was very very present alongside its modernity and its international context. You know, there was a nice story about, I think it was, uh, if you went out of the bar, if you were looking for a translation from a, for a Polish poem and shouted into the company, is there anybody here can translate from Polish? Somebody would say, ah, yes, I can. So that, and when Tom McGrath told me this, he said, I thought when that happened, I thought I was doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. So that kind of international context was the place of the launch. So there was a, a, a general sense that I got from talking to people that Alistair had certainly been working on this for a long time, had certainly um, encouraged the scepticism of some that it would ever be finished and what it would be like if it was finished. And the, the, the few people that I met who had actually read some of it um, uh, were impressed and anticipating something, but I don't think there was any real confident knowledge about uh, in the in the in the general sense of the thing um, that you were waiting for. A, you, you know, there was a sense that a major thing could happen, but there wasn't a sense that you were it was secure. Um, so that was part of the the background. Um, and how did you then hear about the launch? I mean, it's I was simply aware of it that the um, there were various things going on all over the t all, all that all, th all through that time. I remember my little pocket diary entry for that day just has the words Glasgow University Library, and then in the evening, um, seven thirty or whenever it was, um, Alistair Gray reading Third Eye Centre. So you know there, there was a sense that I'd keep my eye on the on the program. That's the the original um, fold out uh, panel. For the um, Alistair Bay launch, and it's got his, the, his artwork right on the and we're the artwork there, and the Seven Poets exhibition is there, and so I mean, I, for some reason, I kept this and, and put it, you know, used it as a bookmark probably, but just as a souvenir of the event. Um, 
so I was simply aware of these events happening at the Third Eye Centre and at the university, various other uh, locations, and I was getting in touch with people. Throughout, you know, I was beginning to form friendships with some of the poets. Um, I had met Hugh McDermott in 1977, 78, just before his death. I knew Edwin Morgan was a great uh, mentor and friend, ultimately, that sense of him helping with the PhD I was working on and studying, reading widely. Uh, so there was a general awareness that Alistair's work was coming to fruition, that it was something was going to happen. Um, and uh, the the... The, the encourage, there was a sense of encouragement, but there was also a sense of unknowingness and curiosity about it. So yeah, that was part of the part of that world. Sense of the of the scale of the novel and the sense of you know not only in terms yeah. of what what I was looking at and the, the themes and motifs, but also the ambition in terms of the illustration, the typesetting, you know, the fully formed object that it actually was. Was there a sense of that before or? Yes, I think there was. Um, again, my I mean, again, my sense of it is that it was it was fragmented. It was fragmentary. There were people who had a sense of that, but there were also people who had a sense of different things happening. That he was capable of such things. You know, we knew about the the um, the murals and the and the artwork and the, his work as an artist was very much part of his story. Um, but there was no there was no publication that you could say read that and you'll find out about what he, where he's coming from what he's doing. Uh, there was no simple way in in that in that respect. So it was a very um, well. It was great. You just didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> you to turn up at the launch itself, and you have memories of that. Yeah. Kind of yeah. In, who was there? I mean, I presume there's pictures of Alistair signing. I know he was obviously you know he's well known for doing that for for holding up a cue at a book signing, wasn't he? And, and not only yeah. being um, a personal dedication, but often a drawing too. So, you know, can you... Right. We, yes, indeed, you? indeed he did. Um, that did happen. There were many people there who I knew vaguely um, and had met sometime before. Uh, I, I wasn't there with any particular friend, I don't recall, but I think it was just being curious about what was going on. I do have to mention Kevin McCara, who was there, who the, 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 a very good writer, sports writer, actually wrote for The Guardian. But before that, he was with Hamish White in the, in the beginning, the early days of the Mariscat Press. And he, was, he had worked at Glasgow University in the Scottish Literature Department, where he was a colleague, or you know, I was a student there at the same time. So he was a friend, an acquaintance, really, at that time. And I remember him being there and, you know, more or less buttonholing me and saying, now you've, you've got to pay attention to this because this is going to be really important. And he was much more in the in the in the depth of the thing than I was. And um, and when the the event happened, Alistair uh, was there, uh, read, and and the, the the crowds were very, the crowd was very enthusiastic and very um, attentive and and very curious. I mean, it wasn't at all uh, you know psychophancy or. Um, or a group of friends who were there merely to support him. It was a group of friends, certainly, there to support him, but there was also a sense of literary people who were curious about what was going to happen here. Uh, so it was exciting. 
in that regard. And I remember, and I should just mention though, that when I was, I was, I was impressed, and I thought, and I, and I, I, I picked it up, and I got hold of a copy, and I remember just picking it up and looking at it, and being, you know, it's the first impression that you have when you flick through it and you read the sequence of, you know, it's in the wrong order, and you yeah. think, is that a misprint? No, uh, no. I, I mean, honestly, you do begin with that sense of what's gone wrong here. Yeah. And then you think, oh wait a minute, this is this is something very deliberate, very, very, um, and uh, and I, on the, I don't know if you can make this out, but on the actual on the red panel, there's the yeah. the signature um, from, um, the, from the date. That's, that's a book you bought, you know, at the at the launch, got it signed. At the launch, and it was Kevin Picaro, and I was holding it, saying, "You've got to buy it, get him yeah. to sign it now." Yeah. And. Uh, and he was right, and I, you know, no mistake, it was a terrific thing to do. The other nice wee thing that, again, this will be, this is the sort of thing I guess that will be famous to lots of people who were there and around at the time. But I remember a bookshop, which was, if I remember correctly, just opposite the where Scottish Opera is now, opposite the Theatre Royal, and there was a wee pile of these bookmarks which would, were on the on the desk uh, by the till, and you're just welcome to pick one up and take it away with you. So I've always kept that as well, yeah. which is famously the the doctor's um, prescription. I think I have caught Lanark. What can I do about it? And the doctor gives him a gives gives the uh, questioner a reply, but ends with the famous line: "The important thing is to drink heavily and not to worry if you do see a doctor." So it's not a doctor speaking at all. But the whole the whole context of it was playful. But there was some depth to it, and the, the unknowingness of it was also a was also a, a spur to curiosity. Um, so it was a great event. There was lots of, I think, if I remember correctly, if I've judged this correctly, it went from that sense of, you know, as the great painter Jack Yates once said that you can a painting is an event. You can plan for an event, but if it goes according to your plan, it's not an event. And it was like that. It was like the, the thing had been choreographed to the extent that we would have we would have the crowd, crowd we would have the drinks, we would have the reading, and then we would see what happens. Ooh. And, and uh, so you took the you bought the book, you got it signed, you took it home. Did you read it right after, or how long? Yeah, and I actually I was looking I was looking I've got a list of things that I read that year, and curiously, I mean this is completely nerd territory, Ooh. but uh, but I was I um. 1981 begins with um, remember reading the uh, the the um, we uh, print studio publication called the Comedy of the White Dog. Mm -hmm. Again, it was at, at that time there wasn't. If you went to a bookshop at that time, there wouldn't be a Scottish literature section. And sometimes you would go into odd bookshops or odd shops, you know, like Fraser's mm -hmm. in Buchanan Street would have a wee bookshelf somewhere and you might find strange publications that people might have just wandered by with a plastic bag full of magazines or books that they were trying to sell and they would be there. So if you were, if you were hunting for books, as I was at the time, I would, I would go to the second-hand bookshops or I would go to the shops that, that just look for, look for curiosities yeah. um, that, were, that seemed relevant to what I, was, what I was doing. So I remember picking up this wee um, a large um, format uh, a, a book of Alistair's called The Comedy of the White Dog. So I'd read that. And then the same, yeah, it must have been just shortly after I bought it, I'd read it. It's down here alongside Ian Crichton-Smith, um, H. Ryder Haggard, 
um, Raymond Chandler, Wally Sienka, and a, and a kind of um, non-sci-fi novel by Philip K. Dick. Yeah. So that was the sort of stuff I was I was reading at the time, and now it's just part of that. Do you keep a note every year of what you've read or what you're because you're you're referring? Yeah, I mean I've kept it. I've, yeah. yeah, since I was a wee boy, it's just a, one of those nerdy habits. I've got a kept a list of uh, of books I've read. Oh, um, so, so you read it, and then others were others around you reading at the same time. Was there then a kind of ripple of? Yeah, there was. Whenever I do remember talking to people at parties or at you know um, events or whatever, have you read? Have you have you read Lanark? What do you think? You know what's what's what do you think? Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to someone saying <laughs> his first response was to say, "Well, it's very good, but it's in the wrong order," you know. And then it was just a kind of very Glasgow criticism of um, how 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 it might have been improved. That kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a there was a sense of something ha- has happened that will take some time to sink in. Mm. Um, I think that's true. I think there was a there was a there was a sense of coming to terms with it. Eddie Morgan, I remember saying something of that kind um, that that he thought it was already significant as soon as he'd got hold of it. I was seeing Eddie quite regularly to help to more or less um, help me with a PhD. Uh, he wasn't my official supervisor, but we talked on all literary matters, and this was part of that um, part of that conversation. So there was a sense that something serious had happened, and, would, and it would take time to sink in. And I remember, I remember another conversation, and I remember bringing it up with Alistair himself later on, uh, talking about it. I think maybe the first time we'd, we'd met, we met before that. I think. Um, at an event at a translator's uh, house, a uh, flat, a party, where we had, uh, we hadn't, at that point, we'd never met before. And he and I happened to be standing next to the drinks table and we just looked at each other and you have, you know, that moment where you think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say hello to somebody here and just see what happens and have, open the conversation. And he, he instantly looked curious about so, you know, where where will this conversation take us? Um, and we ended up talking about China for about I don't know how many hours. When we when we stopped, people were had left or were leaving. But I think it was after that we we met intermittently at that period over every now and every now and again before I went to New to New Zealand in 1986. And I do remember talking to him shortly after the publication of Lanark after I'd read it and, you know, complimenting him on it and saying I thought it was terrific and, and really powerful and great and all sorts of things. Um, and and I, if I remember, again, if I remember correctly, he was pressing me uh, to criticise it, mm. to say what I thought would be, what, what, what did I think of it? What would I, what would I say critically of it? Mm. And being the young Carol, well, relatively young and certainly Carol uh, um, thoughtless sort of, chap that I was at that time, I said, well, I think maybe the one thing that's that, that, that's missing is that sense of uh, a mature man. Mm-hmm. It's very much a male-centred, Duncan Thaw, in that sense of the young man finding out where he is, all of the trials and tribulations, and the, and then the, mm-hmm. the discovery of society and the discovery of exploitation. What can you do against it? Here you are, and then there's the you know we come to the climax and the apocalypse and the and the receding of the tide. All of these things happen, 
It's a magnificent vision, a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, epic. But I remember saying, you know, there's a, that sense of the... I suppose I might have been thinking of Joyce and Ulysses, you know, in that sense that when Joyce was asked a similar question, it was like, well, Ulysses is the person because he's not only an adventurer, he's a father mm -hmm. and um, a son and that sense of a whole world of family around him. And Alistair responded and he thought, yeah, he said, I remember him sort of saying, it might, it might be that I, that I, that I, that, I'm trying to remember the exact phrase, but it was something like, it might be that I couldn't really speak of that from full experience, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and it was, again, it was an authentic, it felt very much like an authentic, yeah. honest answer. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, and I didn't want to, to, I didn't want to say this, so I was criticising him in that way. But um, but it was a it was a memorable kind of exchange of that kind. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Can we maybe go back a little bit to what you said about this idea of um, you know almost coming to terms with it, and I guess like anything, the sort of shock of something new and different can sort of take time to maybe fully digest in a way, but. I'm interested to kind of hear your thoughts or memories of um, how was it received then in terms of reviews or you know, wh when did it start to feel like this is a kind of seminal work of, of an important work of Scottish fiction? Did, did, it sounds like that took some time for it to be fully sort of palated in a way, but... Well, I suppose so. Um, I mean, I, I guess scholarly research would reveal the dates of the early reviews of how that came about, and I haven't done that. Yeah partly because I don't want to. Um, I, I mean, I remember reading Douglas Gifford and Cairns Craig, um, going, the Going Down to Hell is an easy essay from Synchrastus, mm. which was also going around at that time. That magazine was kind of opening the, the kinds of questions that were very much associated with the world of when Lanark was written and published. Um, so critical, but it wasn't, it was never, I don't think it was ever really simply this is a classic. Mm -hmm. It's like this is this is a major work of curiosity. It's a new imagination at work, and it's doing something that hasn't quite been done before. Uh, and we're, I was talking about this the other day, and thinking, yeah, the uh, to a student who's studying the book, and we we're talking about the 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 possible but not confirmed suicide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We we're saying that in Lanark, what you get is this: if you can make a contrast with Ambrose Bierce's famous short story, The Incident at Earl Creek Bridge, which is a really shocking and, and really cruel story where you the guy's about to be hanged and the story is his escape until at the end, no, he has been hanged. Mm -hmm. Asif does not do that. And that, that ellipsis where you move from one story to the other and then at another point of the book you move back and that, that sense of it is, you know, lines are firm between things, between Thaw and Lanark, but at the same time, they're not firm. There's a mutability. Mm -hmm. And there's that, that sense of what he did. And this, this, I think, did take a bit of time to sink in what, he, what the novel achieved mm. and what Alistair did with it is to reinstate or to reinstate um, the relationship between the imagination and reality mm -hmm. and that the dominance of realism um, had been shifted by this book in a way that um, hadn't really happened to the same degree in the same way before. Yeah. Um, that there was a there was there was always that there had for a long time. I think probably through the nineteenth century, especially. Although there are exceptions, 
major exceptions, but there, there, there was always that sense of reality is material fact and imagination is play. Mm. And what Gray did was something to, to redress that situation um, forever, I think. Yeah. And, and it's there, it's evident there if you put Lanark alongside you know, a famous uh, trilogy of works, Edwin Morgan's Sonnets from Scotland and Liz Lockhead's play, Mary Queen of Scots Got Her Head Chopped Off. If you think of Lanark in that constellation, then you've got that same principle at work. This is not simply realism. Realism is absolutely there, but the fantasy and the imagination are at work as, as vitally as a realistic assessment of what reality is. So. And I guess that critical way of reimagining Glasgow specifically, I know a lot yeah. of artists and writers um, sort of, you know, talk about that sort of seminal moment and how it enabled them. I, I mean, what you're also talking about, uh, not just a reimagination of um, a place culturally and a space that it opens for that, but also the community that, you know, it's not just one individual doing that, is it? it's how you pull up and support. And from what you've said about you know, key people that you've mentioned over the course of this discussion to other people that are around and supporting him, even you as a, a young, you know, writer and um, um, student and the support, you know, this generosity that was around that kind of fostered um, yeah. that book in some way too. That's absolutely true. Um, a, 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 a kind of patience as well, I take from it. Um, some things cannot be revealed immediately. You have yeah. to wait for them to come. And, and you work. You work hard at that. Yeah. And that also, I think, was a, was a precedent, you know, for me personally going to New Zealand, um, where I taught, I, was te I began teaching Lanark as a uh, lecturer at, at the University of New Zealand. So um, we initiated the first course in Scottish literature at the University of Waikato and um, Hugh McDermott, Lewis Grassy Gibbon, Liz Lockhead, John McGrath, the Sheviet, and Lanark. You know, they were all part of the work that we presented to New Zealand students. And that was, a, that was also a kind of, <laughs> was it the, the, the longest way is the shortest way home. It's a kind of roundabout way of actually delivering mm -hmm. um, the knowledge and getting back to uh, where you wanted to be. So the centrality of Glasgow in the book, I think, was felt very fondly mm -hmm. by a lot of readers, respectfully in the best way. Like, here's something that's... Um, I mean, I think, you know, I remember um, Peter Kravitz pointing out at around about the same time that some publishers would tell writers, take out the place names. Mm -hmm. Um, don't don't name Buchanan Street, uh, and then Edwin Morgan has his poem trio coming up Buchanan Street, mm -hmm. and that sense of um, here's some somewhere here's a book in which somewhere uh, called Unthank is actually related to the real place called Glasgow, and of course there are places called Unthank in Gla in Scotland, mm -hmm. and there was also that sense that not only is it is it centred in the city. But there's an opening out to the the nation, and it's not a state of the nation novel in, in any conventional sense. Uh, but there is an opening out to the to the Highlands, um, to to a, to an almost a, a a dream of a pre-industrial world, um, or or a a, um, a pre-industrial world from which industrial Glasgow emerged. You know the famous the famous passage that everybody quotes about the. Um, nobody's imagined it, but in fact, 
there were lots of actual novels about set in Glasgow, but no one had imagined it in the way that Alistair had, and in that in that sense of bringing the the rest of Scotland into a configuration, and the dream and the fantasy and the imagination into into terms with reality. And do you um, do you feel that's the like? I mean, it's quite hard to sum up, isn't it? And few lines what is the legacy or what has been the impact cultural and beyond of Lanark but that reimagination for sure of, of the city like you're talking about this blending of the personal and the universal the kind of real and the imagined um, yes I think the legacy um, I, I, you know the famous Anthony Burgess um, flag um, <laughs> So there's a there's a there's a wide readership which was gained by that, and there's Alistair's own you know insistence that his other books were just as important. Some of them are more important, um, you know, which is entirely arguable. And you can also get the sense that Alistair himself, as the author, wants to say, "Don't just read that one; read, read these ones as well." And that's all fine. Um, but I do think it was a, not only a not only is it does it remain. A really significant work in itself, uh, but that historical moment of its publication was a kind of turning point. Uh, in fact, one of those points, one of those moments in that in that uh, in that decade, you know, post seventy nine, famously um, uh, things that that were paused upon, things that were being beginning to you were gonna, you were going to take stock of the situation uh, in a new way, um, both as as a critic. And as an original writer, as a poet, or as a novelist, or a playwright, things had to be addressed in order to be redressed. And I think Lana was part of that. Yeah, well, that seems like a good place to end our conversation, Alan. Thank you so much for, and what an honour to have the first Great Matters of Conversation with you. Thank you for sharing your, your memories. Thanks, Sorta. Okay, cheers. Thank you. Thanks, Alan. Bye. I've always felt that stories and pictures were a way of keeping people I knew alive and as they were.